and welcome on The Barricades. This is a special edition that we produce along with TheAnalysis.com. This is your host, Maria Cernat, and with me, as usual, the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist, Bojan Stanislavski. Thank you for being here with us. Hello, hello. Great to be here. We are going to discuss today the situation in Kazakhstan because at the beginning of this January, the country was uh, dominated by important protests that erupted in several cities. And uh, since January 4th, they became quite violent. A lot of articles were written and a lot of speculations were made regarding this protest that in the final aftermath appeared to be a clash between President Kasim Tokayev and the former leader of Kazakhstan and current head of security, uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. Um, the problem in Kazakhstan and the problem started when the prices for natural liquid gas nearly doubled from 0.1 euros to 0.2 euros. And that made people very angry. Kazakhstan is a very rich country. It has many natural resources and the citizens are mainly uses, mainly use this form of, uh, of uh, gas to uh, move around. They use it for transportation. And of course, a sudden doubling of the prices would have meant for a lot of them um, a huge financial burden. And this is why they started the protests. Now, on January 4th, all over the country, there were violent clashes between the security forces and the protesters. More than 3,000 people were detained and 12 people were killed during these clashes. Because Kazakhstan is a member of the Collective Security Treaty Organization, they asked for help and in the um, let us discuss a little bit this collective uh, security treaty that was signed in 1992 and um, it was signed by commonwealth uh, independent um, states and post-soviet states at the beginning Russia, Armenia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan, those were the countries that initially signed the treaty. And then uh, Azerbaijan, Belarus, and Georgia joined a year later. China is an observer member in this treaty. And this is important to note. And um, of course, as I told you, there were a lot of speculations. And I want to warn the viewers that we are not here to take sides we are here to offer a nuanced and balanced perspective because what happens now in, uh, in Kazakhstan is very, very interesting. In the first part of our show, uh, me and Boyan are going to look at the map. We are going to look at the foreign investment in Kazakhstan and also on the structure of the population. And only then we will begin discussing and analyzing some of the most important hypotheses to be made regarding the current crisis in this country. So first of all, Boyan, before going to the map, tell me just a very brief impression. What do you think of this protest? 
Right, so this is a very difficult thing to analyze, really. First of all, I want to say that, uh, you know, it's a confession that I have to make, and I think I, own, uh, I owe that to our viewers and, and listeners, uh, that I am not an expert in Central Asian issues. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have uh, great knowledge about how uh, the political processes unfold in all those countries, like Kazakhstan, which is the kind of the beating heart of uh, Central Asia. Uh, but of course, there are the other republics like Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. Uh, and, and, you know, and of course, Afghanistan, which was uh, which is not a post-Soviet state, unlike those that I just listed out. But, uh, you know, Kazakhstan is is uh, is very interesting, of course, for people like us. And, and I, I feel it should be very interest, uh, interesting or it should appear interesting uh, to the Eastern European left, uh, because, you know, <clears throat> this is, this is a country that, uh, with its resources, with its history, uh, as a part of the Soviet Union is definitely to a certain extent linked politically to our region. Now, uh, so that's one difficulty that of course I, you know, had to, uh, sort of struggle with and I encounter it immediately that I just don't know much. So I, you know, I spent days, you know, trying to figure out what is going on, what were the you know pre premises, the, the 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 general situation, and so on, and so forth, like the general context, right? Uh, because obviously, you know, everything that I accumulated as a some sort of general knowledge was not enough for me to go in depth into the uh, <clears throat> in, into what happened in Kazakhstan last week. Now that was the first thing, but second thing was that immediately, you know, right after the whole thing uh, gained sort of violent traction, you know, the, the, the whole public opinion in the world, the global public opinion, so to say, was divided into two camps. And one was, of course, the, 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 the Western camp where everybody started, I mean, it wasn't reported as extensively as the events in Belarus or Ukraine, uh, but uh, the narrative was the same, you know, people against authoritarianism, people against dictatorship, wanting human rights, wanting democracy, wanting everything that's good against everything that's bad that's been ruling them, you know, since uh, the beginning of times, right? And uh, that was that was one narrative. And then there's the Russian narrative, uh, which is like, you know, the usual thing, which is, again, CIA all over the place. You know, <laughs> it's like Americans, imperialists, you know, the West, the collective West. They want to, you know, take down Kazakhstan. <laughs> you know, you look at this and you really have no way, you know, if, if you're not, uh, if you don't spend enough time going through the whole, uh, through this thick surface of, of uh, propaganda, if you like, right, then you're really you're risking getting lost in the whole thing and finally maybe losing interest and just you know waving like shrugging your shoulders you know kazakhstan is like thousands of kilometers from let's see where uh, it is what do you see? yeah right right let's see right where it is you're right so what let me show important. the map that's true that's true so uh kazakhstan is the, what we're looking at is uh central asia and we're now uh seeing kazakhstan everything that you can see above is basically uh, uh, Russia, like in, in north of Kazakhstan, and uh, south east of Kazakhstan. You can, or east of Kazakhstan, you can see Mongolia, which is here. Uh, oops, sorry, <coughs> I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, this is Kazakhstan, and uh, there is here is China, which is also uh, pretty important. Uh, that is 
that is exactly here. Uh, anyway, I'm not able to we have activate. Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. Anyway, that's that, that's like exactly China is is in the <clears throat> in the south uh, in the east and southeast, and then there's Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan and Tajikistan, as well as Azerbaijan and Georgia that you can see south and and southwest uh, are. Uh, former Soviet republics. And uh, beneath that, we've got Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan, and uh, and so on. So that's the geographical location. Uh, now mm -hmm. you can see uh, I'm zooming out just so that you can get a better uh, well, sense of it. Uh, right. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of important perhaps to indicate at the beginning that, uh, you know, Kazakhstan is a huge country uh, in terms of territory and, and, uh, uh, yeah, like geographical area that it covers, uh, and uh, it's uh, it, it also has a very peculiar structure uh, where it, you know the Kazakhstani society is not exactly like uh, you know the European uh, or, or or any other society that that you know uh, we know from Europe or or, or North America or uh, other. Uh, states with the long republican tradition, so to say, it's uh, it's a state that is divided into also three uh, three zones, which are inhabited by so-called juges, and juges uh, is an an organization. I don't know a federation. I don't know how to call it exactly, but it's it's a tribal organization. And it's split into three juges. There's the senior Jews, there's the uh, middle Jews, and there's the junior Jews or the small Jews. Like, uh, and and uh, this young small uh, Jews is basically uh, is in the country's west, in Kazakhstan's west, where also most of the resources are natural resources. I'm talking, and you may uh, you mentioned that in your <clears throat> in your introduction that Kazakhstan is a very rich country in terms of natural resources. We're talking, we're talking about gas here, we're talking about oil, and also we're talking uranium here, which is uranium. very important. I mean, Kazakhstan is by, uh, I think, the first exporter of uranium in the world. Uh, I mean, you know, they, 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 they mine more uranium than uh, Russia, China, you know. So, uh, yeah. And 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 this is this is the west basically. Then the north e uh, north and northeast <clears throat> is the the uh, is the area which is uh, I'm not sure how to refer to it exactly. Let's just say controlled for the sake of the discussion, uh, controlled and inhabited by the senior Jews. And then there's the southwest and 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 central part in the in the southern. Uh, uh, yeah, well, the southern and central part and, and towards the east, which is the middle Jews. And, uh, you know, the area, the western area closer to the Caspian Sea and inhabited by people that uh, are, are, you know, part of this uh, young or, or, or <clears throat> small Jews is the area that traditionally, you know, since the fall apart of the Soviet Union and so on and so forth, served as the basis for further, uh, it served as a basis for inception of protests and movements and social mobilizations that sometimes, uh, you know, would also transform themselves into mobilizations in the other parts inhabited by the other juges. 
so many people and many journalists in Kazakhstan and in Russia, and that's, you know, according to what I read in the press, read in the media, in the Russian media and the Russian uh, Russian language media from Kazakhstan and other uh, Central Asian republics, is that, you know, many people in Kazakhstan and many people in, con- in the neighboring countries that know about Kazakhstan, they don't necessarily view this like the other processes, social mobilizations that occurred before, as something necessarily very political. I mean, sometimes there was a clear clear political element to that, sometimes there wasn't. But many people also view that as, as a kind of rebellious attitude of those tribes and clans, because it's a complicated structure. So there's the Jews, which then d- splits into, into tribes, and then tribes split into clans and so on and so forth, right? So it's, it's a kind of complicated thing and co- complicated ladder. But anyway that those people that belong to the young or, or small Jews, that they kind of have this rebellious attitude towards the other Jews. And, uh, and and that's one aspect that I think should be taken into consideration here, or at least not, should not be left out of the, of the general picture. Because why? It transforms and translates, rather, into the political design if you like, of the into the political architecture of the country, which you know, officially speaking, is a republic, and that's you know, that's that's how formally that's what it formally looks like. But then, because of that complicated structure that I mentioned, and because of this of certain formalities that are required by any republic to maintain, it it ended up creating a certain you know, a peculiar arrangement where you have the upper class that recruits mostly from people from certain clans or from certain, you know, groups within that structure structure that I just explained. And they, you know, they have to rule over, kind of right over their rule above anything else in order to be able to, you know, manage the country politically and in all other aspects. And this you know, linked to the Soviet past and the bureaucracy running the state and so on and so forth, created a very specific uh, uh, circumstances where where the civil servants and the people around the president and the government and so on and so forth can exercise enormous power and have uh, and are very easily incentivized to corruption because they can just do anything. And uh, and this this you know was very this was a, a construction that was that has always been very difficult to manage always particularly you know when the corruption sort of kicked in for for, for good in the nineties uh, and after the fall of the Soviet Union you know the person that was in charge uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev uh, who used to be an important member of the Politburo of the Kazakhstani uh, Communist Party that used to be part of the CPSU, you know, mm-hmm. before 1989, before 1991, uh, you know, he was able to sort of, you know, it's a long story again, and we don't have the time to go into the details of that, although it's very interesting, but, but he was able to assert himself as the person that is going to be able to balance between all those structures and between all those cascading dependencies And and, and, yeah, and and he was, uh, and of course, I mean, like, you know, the fact that he was an able bureaucrat does not mean I defend him. And as you said in the beginning, that, you know, we're not here to take sides. He was an able bureaucrat, obviously. But, uh, you know, that all 
does not mean, I mean, the fact that he was an able bureaucrat and that he was able to, to sort of put those things together and maintain them somehow does not mean that the processes, that the contradictory processes were not there. Kazakhstan is full of all kinds of contradictions. And speaking and not... of which, this is a perfect segue to look a little yeah. bit at the foreign investment, sure. because I find on Statia.com a very nice map that shows you exactly uh, the situation of foreign investment in this country. And I think it's Absolutely. very important for us to consume it, to look at this map, because it is not Russia who is in the first, uh, first place here in terms of foreign investment. Let us now share the screen and see whether we can look at Absolutely, the map. Absolutely, yes, yes. I'm looking for that right now. And uh, let me see. I think it's here. Uh, the distribution of foreign foreign investments. Um, yeah, I'm I'm turning it on. Here it is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Now we can see that. So you see how interesting this is. Uh, now I sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, it's here. I'm sorry. That basically Netherlands, the Dutch shell, is there, isn't it? And then the United States, and then Switzerland, and then China and Russia are sharing only 6% in terms of foreign investment. So while it is true that this country, Kazakhstan, is this is a, a member of that security treaty uh, that they signed in 1992, along with other uh, post-Soviet states that I mentioned at the beginning of our show, in terms of foreign investment, it is important for our viewers to consume the idea that the lion's share is taken by the Netherlands and the United States. Just look at this statistic and how um, visually uh, it is so, um, it speaks um, for itself, showing that they are the, the dominant uh, players here. So. Basically, Chevron and Dutch Shell are dominating the foreign investment in, in this country. And I think this is important for our viewers to, to consume this. Um, and basically, also this map, why is this image very important? Because it shows that it will not be likely that in this country you will have major sources of uprising coming from the workers because the major corporations that are dominating the landscape are um, are the ones that are very anti-workers uh, and very are, are very have a vested interest in keeping the status quo. Now, the status quo, as Boyan mentioned, uh, was that almost for 30 years, that person... Um, uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, that actually named the Astana, the capital, after his name, Nur Sultan. Well, he uh, first moved it, by the way, from Almaty. He moved it uh, over well, to Astana, Astana, and then, and then he, he renamed, renamed it after his own name. Branded. Yes. It is like I would be the president of Romania, and I would change the name of the capital into Maria. <laughs> that would be fantastic, just to understand how insane this is. But this is the current situation, and he took a step back, and now he. Uh, have this idea to leave the country into the very wise hands of his daughter, but of course that was not possible, so she chose a different disciple into the person of Kasim Tokayev. And this Kasim Tokayev seems to move a little bit further. Now, Nazarbayev is not 
was not out of the picture completely because he was still running, isn't it, the security council? That's and yeah, he had an influence. But now, during the clashes, and it seems that Tokayev used this opportunity to dismiss all members of the government, and a lot of the members of the government were were close to this one, Nazarbayev, though. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Well, I, actually, you know, that's uh, also an important nuance for people to understand. But in many, uh, well, in many, maybe not, but in some post-Soviet countries, the Security Council, including Russia, by the way, is a very important body, which actually, you know, manages to a large extent the internal political process in Russia, too. And and uh, by the way, like Putin, for example, in Russia, he did start, he started out as, as the head of the, of the Security Council. Uh, and, you know, many people who are uh, expected to remain active in politics, but they should not be the face of the political process, they are getting sent there. Like, for example, Medvedev uh, in, in Russia, he, you know, played a part in the Security Council leading... Uh, Leading the the work of the Security Council when he stopped becoming uh, when he stopped yeah becoming and being because they were sort of uh, you know shuffling it back and forth but but uh, like prime minister or president of the Russian Federation and the same goes same happened here so uh, well there was obviously a problem uh, with Nur Sultan Nazarbayev not just because uh, with the course of time he started to 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 you know develop this kind of uh, narcissistic uh, tendencies, starting to think that, you know, like naming the city after his own name, publicly sort of uh, displaying the will uh, that his daughter inherits all the powers, you know, in Kazakhstan. And by the way, I want to say that, uh, you know, it wasn't completely out of question, by the way. Uh, like, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's a whole different story. How come that she, she was sort of uh, sidelined? But it wasn't out of question, and and it wasn't out of question particularly because, you know, the political process in Kazakhstan and the political or maybe the architecture of the political process, if you like, does not look the same as it does in I don't know in Europe or America or something like that. Same goes for Belarus, by the way. You know, in the political process in Belarus, that does not resemble the one that we know from maybe formally like in Kazakhstan, you know, to some extent. But otherwise, it's like the essence of it is is completely different. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to judge here, like whether it's good or bad and stuff like that. You know, yes, obviously there are some, and yeah, obviously there are some authoritarian tendencies, which I don't like. That's true. But, you know, I'm not going to now, you know, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's a situation that has always been there, that, that has been there for, for, for decades, for decades. So uh, it, it's like there were problems with him, not uh, with Nazarbayev, not only because of his narcissistic, whatever other tendencies and dictatorial measures that were increasingly stupid and, and that were kind of compromising the country and, and all the rest of it. That was that was really just the window dressing that was ugly. Apart from that, there was this thing that he thought, uh, or according to everything that I've read, that's my conclusion, he seems to have thought, like Lukashenko, that he can be, you know, the smart guy and he's going to, you know... He's going to play the play ball with the West. He's going to play ball with the Russians. He's going to play ball with everyone. And that worked for a period of time when Russia was, you know, on its knees, uh, like not able, not being able to assert it, uh, uh, like its sovereignty and, and stuff like that. And when Russia was weak and, and, you know, was afraid to take any action and so on and so forth. But things have changed. OK. And we've spoken about that many times in our program. I'm not going to repeat uh, that. But uh, now... When Russia is uh, in in this, 
under this huge international pressure, then obviously, you know, things are different. And Nur Sultan Nazarbayev in, became an increasing annoyance for them because he was not, he, not because he wanted to play ball with the West, not so much because of that, but he was not a reliable partner for any kind of discussion. Like he was not able to deliver to the Russians whatever they would agree. He, you know, they would never be able to be sure whether that's going to be delivered, that's going to happen and so on and so forth. So, of course, you know, the situation for them was uh, dangerous because Kazakhstan is not like, you know, any other small country that you can just write off the whatever sphere of influence that you have as a superpower. It, it's a very serious place with, uh, you know, a lot of resources and, and, and also a 7,000 kilometers long a land border with Russia. I believe it's probably the largest, the, the longest border that Russia has in uh, in land border that Russia has with any other country. So it's a matter of national security, obviously, for Russia in this in these circumstances that we observe now. So uh, you know, let to us Kaya, also look, please, at the structure yeah, of the sure. population to Absolutely, see how many people live there and what is the structure by religion and ethnic groups, because this is also important yeah. to see. So this is the situation in Kazakhstan population: ninety millions, roughly, and the Muslim population is 70% Christian, 20%. And if you look a little bit down, you will see that there are two major groups here. Of course, the Kazakh population, 63%, and also Russians, 23%. 4 yes. million people are Russians living in Kazakhstan still. So this is also very... Um, very important of course we have it yeah. by age group but this is not so important yeah. it is important yeah, right. to see the the ethnic and religious composition of the population yes i would say so and it's very important to know that also russia has there isn't it uh, an important base where they launched uh, sputnik from so exactly this is also that, that, that's exactly what i was going to say so it's very important for the Russians to keep things uh, quiet yeah. and keep things and keep the status quo and not have this. Uh... Yeah, I, I think it's extremely important what you just said. That's why let me just weigh in for very briefly yes. on that, because, uh, you know, the Cosmodrome uh, is uh, now has the status of a sort of rented territory. OK, that that's rented by Russia. You know, it's paid for and so on and so forth. It's not uh, as some people claim uh, uh uh, you know, out of any jurisdiction of the, of the Kazakhstani uh, authorities or anything like that. But anyway, it's a very important strategic thing. And this is an inheritance from the Soviet times, because uh, during the Soviet uh, during the Soviet times, many engineers, many scientists and stuff like that uh, were sent to Kazakhstan to develop, you know, the, the astronautic uh, technologies and so on and so forth, which, by the way, you know, uh, Kazakhstan benefited greatly, okay, in a sense that, you know, this was this was basically the first influx of, you know, modern technology and, and, and modern science into that territory of that country. Uh, and, uh, you know, it remains there. The Cosmodrome remains there. And uh, also the fact that the country the, the country is, is huge territorially, but it's not densely populated. We, we're talking about, what, 20 million mm -hmm, people, mm -hmm. more or less, right? So we're talking about, like, I don't know, more or less like Romania, right? I mean, this is the population of Romania. This is twice, oh, sorry, three, four times the population of Bulgaria. I don't know, half of the population of Poland. But, like, territorially, this is nothing comparable 
by any stretch. I mean, Kazakhstan is vast, is huge, and that also gives science certain opportunities. We're talking here about nuclear weapons testing. We're talking here about like all kinds of you know military technology being tested out there, and and also huge spaces for uh, drills. Which is also very important, and you know, unfortunately, army... because this is where we live today, and you cannot expect yeah. uh, people to go with a peaceful solution. So <laughs> this is so interesting. Not now. They would the use police... this. Yeah. Not now. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yes. you're, you're you're of course uh, you're totally right. But then I want to go back to Nur Sultan Nazarbayev and his mm -hmm. figure, and mm -hmm. why 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 has he been? Uh, increasingly irritating for uh, for the Russians, and not only for the Russians, for anyone pretty much, uh, who wanted to maintain some stability. Because, you know, the, the, the older he was getting, the more uh, uh, um, amorticized, so to say, he regime, his regime was was becoming, the more of a theater he, he had to be coming up, right? Like, we know that from Eastern Europe perfectly. When there's no solutions, there's the theater <laughs> starts to uh, play itself out. And and it was pretty, pretty much the same thing there. Now, the, the only... The, the thing that was very often used and that is a very useful tool uh, uh, for post-Soviet leaders were nationalist or nationalistic tendencies that they were able to exploit uh, and that actually they have been, I should say, because they still do that uh, uh, in many places, to exploit in order to, you know, define themselves as a separate, you know, country, separate state, separate entity, separate nation, separate everything. And, you know, it was a relatively fairly difficult task because after four, 50 years or 70 years of being in the Soviet Union, <laughs> that's where, where certain this things... this is so ridiculous, Boyan, because if you look at the right. map and you see the size of foreign investment, what kind of sovereignty are you talking about? Just yeah. look at that. Yeah. I mean, you have the Netherlands and the United States putting the thumbs on your you know, neck and you are under the thumb. <laughs> Of course. Economically, what currency? Of course, this is PR. This is this is a famous Russian that says something like, "When patriotism is debated uh, in an extensive manner, somebody stole something, or yeah, economically that, that, something is not right." You know. And I, I, I think, think that what you what you the person you're referring to, if I'm not mistaken, is Piotr or Peter Kropotkin, uh, who is, by the way, the only anarchist theoretician that I'm aware of, like all others, uh, other figures, uh, prominent figures of international anarchism have never elevated themselves to the level of actually creating some sort of political theory. So Piotr Kropotkin had many great phrases, by the way. Uh, and uh, that's true. I, I think that's true. Uh, in, in this case, in the case of the fall apart of the Soviet Union and the sort of re uh, the assertion of those states and entities and the ruling classes of those states as a political and, and meaningful factor in internal and international politics, they often resorted to that because, you know, this was the easiest thing. Everybody was bashing communism uh, and communism finally ended. Everybody was finally free, allegedly, right? So now we should just, you know, sort of uh, try to manifest ourselves. And, and the easiest way to do that is to create some kind of mythology. I'm sure you know much more than I do about this, the, this sort of things because you're a researcher and I know that you've been into this business. Well, not into the business of doing that, but into the business of researching this. Uh, so, so you, you know, Nusantan Nazarbayev, 
Right, right. So Nursultan Nazarbayev was doing exactly that. And many people were doing that. Lukashenko was doing that. Kuchma was doing that, like the first president of uh, uh, of uh, Ukraine, uh, you know, independent Ukraine and so on and so forth. Like the first thing he did was publishing a book, Ukrainians are not Russians or something along the lines of it. I, I can't remember exactly the title, but something yeah, like this, you know, which, right. which, you know, in, 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 like if, if such a book was produced in Kazakhstan, then it would actually make a, a lot more sense in, in, in a way that, you know, Kazakhstani people, People are obviously, you know, by the way they look and by their ethnicity and by their aesthetics, by their civilizational code, if you like, are totally different from the Russians. Well, or, or in many aspects, let's say not totally, but in many aspects different from the Russians. Whereas Ukrainians or Belarusians, I mean, you know, okay, how can you really tell the difference, okay? Uh, so uh, Yes, yes. Uh, right. So, so there I, were I, I also say... those people in Moldova, I remember that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Moldovans are not Romanians. We speak Moldova. <laughs> language yeah. and this is so ludicrous yeah. because it's almost you know 99.9 percent .9 is the same so yeah yeah it's like you know croatian and and serbian and stuff like this, this is complete nonsense but you know when we spoke since we spoke of, of the of the national ethnic national composition you know, this is one of the basic contradictions that I mentioned at the beginning of the program, okay? Like, it's not just that, that one-fifth or one-fourth of the population is Russian, okay? We're talking about many Kazakhstani people that are Russian-speaking or even Russian-identifying to some extent, okay? For whom the Russian language is the first language that comes before the Kazakhstani language, okay? So, and, and this is very important, okay? This is something that you just cannot ignore. And Nursultan Nazarbayev was actually trying to play with this card, which always ends up badly. And for example, you know, some time ago, he uh, he was even attempting to remove the Cyrillic alphabet from the Kazakh, you, you know, and to replace it kind of with, with, the, with the Latin. Now it's like it, they're supposed to have equal status, like in Serbia, for example. In Serbia, you have equal status. Like the official alphabet is the Cyrillics, but it's okay to use the the, the Latin mm -hmm, transcription mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. And same is pretty much like with all the simplifications of the explanation that I'm providing right now. But let's say it's the similar situation right now with, with the Kazakhstani Kazakh language. And let us also, because you know, many people in the West would would tell you, oh, this is a sign of a Russian cultural imperialism. They want to enforce Cyrillics on everyone. Well, guys, guess what? I mean, the Kazakh language before that had no script. So it's not like, you know, it's it's not any imperialism. It's just like the natural development of, of how things go, right? Uh, so uh, anyway, that, 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 that's just a note on the side. But, but Nursultan Nazarbayev was doing even that, you know, it, it's a thing which is very offensive or insulting to Russians to do this. It's like, you know, removing, for example, the Red Army monuments in Eastern Europe, something that has really enraged the Russians because it's like, you know, for them, uh, and you know, I, 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 you know, I have, I do know the Russian reality uh, to to uh, to some extent. For them, it's like spitting in their, you know, in in their face. It's like spitting on on their on the most sacred thing of their historical identity and historical memory. So you, you know, Nursultan Nazarbayev, despite the fact that until until now, even throughout this dispute, he was referred to as a pro-Russian or Russian-controlled leader, which is a complete nonsense. And at the same time, now I have no evidence for this, but I, I came across that kind of comments in many, many places, that he was also grooming groups uh, of, you know, Kazakhstani nationalists and stuff like that, that would eventually that he would eventually use in some kind of confrontations 
that would occur along the lines of what I exp explained in the beginning between the Zhuzhes or between the tribes or between whatever other, you know, uh, as I said, cascading dependencies that occur in this country. And because he was getting that irritating, because he was getting that annoying, and because he was playing ball with the West to the extent that Russians felt uh, at certain point mm. he's, going, he's going way too far. And also, you know, China was asserting itself as a superpower, you know, over the last couple of years and, and, and was trying to sort of secure itself from abroad because of the tensions that are growing over Taiwan and before that as well. So, so you know, Kazakhstan became pretty much a focal point. And obviously there were some incentives produced by Moscow and Beijing and also within Kazakhstan, within the Kazakhstani elite, within this bureaucratic case, so to say, uh, that, that, you know, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev is creating more trouble than stability and that he had to be removed. But this is why he ended up in the Security Council, because of, the, of that complicated architecture and structure in Kazakhstan. It was very difficult to actually get rid once and for good for him. I mean, there are too many factors supporting him and depending on him and depending on him being in power in order for, for you know, to just stage a coup that would not end lead to some kind of uh, horror, you know, mm -hmm, that, that mm -hmm, would become mm -hmm. uncontrollable, okay? So that's what they did, is like through, you know, all kinds of maneuvering and, you know, again, that's a very long story. I spent uh, like three days reading through this <laughs> and, and sort of getting... And, and it's a complicated story how through maneuvering, bureaucratic maneuvering with support from uh, from abroad, he was able to be pushed away uh, in 2019 uh, accompanied by mass protests, by the way, which again, mass protests that that that, that uh, a lot could be said about them. We don't have the time about it, but there was there were mass protests, and this this was this served as a pretext or as a context more than rather than a pretext to remove to detach him from 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 the you know from from being a president, which is the most important function, okay, that you can and have. Put in him the head of the security council. Exactly. Exactly, but not to you know get rid of him totally, but to sort of you know make some space, okay, in this. Uh, in, in, and then that's when Tokayev stepped in, and then you know he's got a very interesting biography, the guy Tokayev. And again, we are I'm going not taking to discuss it in the second segment of our show right. because uh, okay. we're we running out wanted, of time. Yes, we're running out of time, and we wanted to present a little bit some basic details regarding Kazakhstan, some basic details regarding the, the very complicated recent history in this country. And we looked uh, where this country is and foreign investment, the structure of population, and uh, Boyan gave us a very informed and nuanced perspective on the power structure that is way more complicated than the media, the mainstream media narratives coming from the uh, West or the East may have us believe. So in the hope that you enjoy this uh, presentation, we end here the first segment of our show. And we will discuss in the second segment the reactions and the international media and how this very, very complex situation happening in Kazakhstan was presented in a very simplistic and unproblematic uh, way for the viewers and the readers. And we are going to go into that that of course analyzing further the nuances of this very complicated power structure in Kazakhstan thank you so much Boyan for joining thank and you. for this information and uh, to the viewers uh, please support us go to our patreon page uh, patreon.com slash
to the barricade. Thank you, Polly, and the analysis for the opportunity to address your readers and viewers, and with the hope that this was useful and interesting, we end the first segment here. See you in our next segment. All the Thank best. You. All the very best.